You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And uh, on the Back Chat this morning, we're turning our attention to the proposed uh, legal amendments to speed up land supply. The Development Bureau says uh, changes will be made to legislation regarding town planning, reclamation, road and rail works, as well as environmental assessment. And we have uh, joining us as our guests for this uh, part of the programme, um, Albert Lai, Director and uh, past chair of the Conservancy Association, and also Jacqueline Hoy, a researcher with the R Hong Kong Foundation. Um, good morning to you both. Um, and perhaps uh, 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 Jacqueline Hoy first. Hello, good morning. Good morning. So um, I guess uh, you must be fairly satisfied with these proposals if it's going to result in a, in a speeding up of uh, land supply. I think that is a good direction to shorten the very lengthy procedure of the land development and hence the housing supply can be accelerated. And uh, this proposal is very much needed for two reasons, because if we uh, look at the demand side, Hong Kong is obviously confronted with a severe housing shortage and the city continues to remain to be the world's uh, least affordable housing market for many years. And then when it comes to the supply side, uh, obviously we observe that the current land development procedure can drag on for many years. Um, when we study uh, the development timeline for a large-scale development like uh, an NDA, a new development area, it typically takes at least 14 years to deliver the first batch of sites for building construction. And in particular, the preliminary planning procedure and also uh, the public engagement alone can take six years to complete. So it is much efficient, uh, for example, if the government can consolidate these procedures of similar nature um, into a comprehensive public engagement. So uh, by and large, uh, the government is on the right track to streamline this land development procedure. Um, but uh, apart from revising uh, some statutory procedures as suggested by the Development Bureau, more can be done when it comes to the latter stages of the land and housing development. For example, in land lease modification and site formation as well. Um, so all in all, we are happy to see uh, changes proposed by the government. Um, we hope that uh, more can be done in the future. Uh, good morning, Miss Hai. Why has it taken so long to get around to this? I remember dealing with some of these subjects back in the 1980s when we amended the uh, reclamation ordinance and made that a bit a bit smoother. Uh, but the coordination doesn't seem to be much improvement since then. Yeah, I think the problem is that uh, there is no there's um, no clarity on the overall housing and also land supply development chain. So if we use a supply chain as an analogy to describe uh, the land supply or housing supply from the beginning to the end, actually we see a lot of repetitive steps or works of similar nature being taken up by different departments. So for instance, in the NDA, um, the project itself already involves multiple rounds of public consultation to arrive at the, at the development plan. 
But still, other regulations such as uh, roads ordinance or the land resumption ordinance also require additional public engagement on the very same project. So this example is just one of the um, many repetitive procedures or one of the ambiguities we observed along the, the land supply um, development chain. And uh, so I think that's perhaps uh, why the government or why the development bureaus will um, need to do this exercise to review the entire supply chain and then to spot out the inefficient or the redundant procedure. Right. People point to Kaitak uh, as an example. Now, there, of course, the, the, rec the rec proposed reclamation of the Nullar uh, was stopped because of a court ruling um, on the other side of the harbour, which did require, a, a, I feel like, a second look at the town planning. But even so, there seemed to be an in enormously long and complicated public consultation exercise. I yeah, I think our uh, public consultation exercise uh, uh, is obviously uh, a slow part which can be uh, further improved. So just as I've mentioned before, so even uh, in Kaitak or in the ongoing NDAs like Hongshuikyu or Gudonglaf, we can see that uh, consultations are being conducted at different stages on the very same project. So it's obviously not a very ideal situation given we are at a very critical times of severe housing shortage. And apart from public consultations, we also see a lot of inefficiencies um, in the other procedures as well. For example, um, in the NDA, so NDA is usually being implemented in various phases, and uh, the government usually does not process the land exchange application for private land in the second and the third phase until the infrastructure work in the first phase has been completed by the government. So this is also uh, somehow slow down the private housing supply, which could be actually, uh, which could be realized soon. Um, so this is uh, that public consultation may be uh, the attention of the of the discussions this time. But actually, we have been seeing a lot of inefficiencies along the entire land supply chain as well. Okay, well, let's see what Albert Lai thinks about that. Uh, uh, Albert Lai, director and past chair of the Conservancy Association. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Uh, a, a number of uh, conservation groups have expressed concern that these proposals could lead to uh, a, a limit on public input into the uh, planning process. Um, what do you think? Well, I think let's uh, look at look at the um, details of the legislation or the proposed legislation. In fact, um, now, his supposed objective is to streamline the process to, you know, make it more efficient and so on. Now, this, that seems to be a, a laudable objective. Now, but in fact, if you look at the details, you will find that um, the government is actually not doing that at all. They are using this as an excuse uh, to limit public participation and also to make sure that town planning board becomes a rubber stamp. I mean, that is the essence of this proposed legislation. Um, now, okay, let, let, let's go back one step to ask ourselves, you know, why do we need town planning at all? The reason why we need the town planning process is because 
uh, time planning affects the whole city. I mean, it is a manifestation of the people's vision for the city. And that the premises is that the assumption is that government does not know all. Government is not omnipotent. Government is only one of the many stakeholders in city development. And that's why you need to have a process, an objective, impartial process, to make sure that all stakeholders have a say uh, in the uh, in town planning, uh, and then the ultimate decisions should be made by a panel or a group of experts and professionals. So that's the whole essence of town planning. Right, but, uh, but, but if you look, yeah. sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, but if you look at if you look at what's what's uh, being proposed here, um, uh, let me give you an example. You know, just for the time planning process itself. Now, they, uh, the government now is proposing that uh, reclamation can go ahead in parallel uh, with the time planning process. You know, even when a zoning plan, you know, is not in place, even when the purpose of um, of why reclamation, or that the particular piece of reclamation is needed, is discussed or decided. Now, you just think of the absurdity of the, the, this, this process. Now, what it means is that, um, okay, government's decision to reclaim is sacred. It has to be right. It has to be right. Because if it's wrong, if it's found out to be wrong, there's no way to reverse the uh, the wrongful act. I mean, uh, the damage has been done after you claim, reclaim the land. Right. Um, so, so, if, if, so, so this is... Uh, if you, if so, if you do that, the time planning board, uh, you know, becomes a side issue. It's not even a rubber stamp. Um, because whatever is decided uh, in the end does not matter to the government. Because, you know, the land has been reclaimed, you know, however it's used it, you know, will be decided by the government later and so on. So that, that in itself, uh, from, just from this one piece of proposed legislation alone, you can see the absurdity of the whole process. Does, does that mean the town planning should come first? It has always been. Uh, right. It has always been to come first because you need to debate, you know, why do you need, well, first, first and foremost, do you really need reclamation? Is there a better way to accommodate uh, the needs for development and so on? Then you need to decide for the time they bought, you know, whether this, you know, what particular use uh, should, be, should the land be and so on? And, you know, does it, does it uh, conform with, uh, is it in the best public interest and so on? So now all these discussions, you know, will be redundant, will become academic, really. You yeah. know, if, if the government is allowed to, to go have a but, reclamation but, before uh, a zoning plan is decided. But if you're looking at a proposal to reclaim, there's the loss of amenity in the sense that you, you may lose a beautiful bay uh, or water, a bit of waterfront. And then there's the question of uh, where compensation for some people, but they they can be dealt with, can't they? But you seem to be making the case for sequential approvals again. But there is always no, you just just ask yourself. This has always been sequential. Now, if because we know that reclamation has well that well it is a damaging process. Now, sometimes that damage is justified. Right now, but we don't know. But but we don't know until it's been fully debated and decided by society. And who's going to decide it now? Only the executive branch of this government, you know, has the decision. Because once they start the process, you know, then time pending can go on. 
you know, for the discussion, you know, but the reclamation, the actual work has but, already started. But, it can't be reversed. Take the example so, of so a new you, development. So you, are, you, are talk, you are really talking about an autocratic process <laughs> without public inputs. Wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, J- Jacqueline Hoy, um, how about that uh, remark by Albert Lai that uh, uh, these changes could make the town planning board uh, a rubber stamp or just totally irrelevant? Yes, I, again, I think um, this remark has to do with the whole uh, land development and housing supply chain is um, becoming very unclear at this moment of time because when you're talking about a reclamation project, before the statutory planning procedure, which is uh, proposed for changes by the Development Bureau at this time, there are actually a few rounds of public engagement the government will have to first go through in order to come up with a recommended time uh, recommended development plan, mm. such that it can submit this plan for the town planning board uh, for further discussions. And the current procedure is that uh, after the government arrives at the recommend, uh, recommended online development plan, and then is submitted to the town planning board to go through discussions uh, and then discuss on the very same uh, project again before it can start the reclamation works. And also, apart from uh, the statutory planning procedures, there are also a number of uh, uh, like uh, gate or safety cars to check uh, the government's intentions or the government's plan on reclamation. For example, we still have the EIA procedure. The government will still need to meet the requirements stated in the ordinance before it can commence any reclamation project. So, uh, I, obviously, if we if you look at the entire land development timeline, you can see that consultations and also uh, together the experts' opinions, this kind of procedures is actually spreaded and scattered across the entire development procedures. It's not just that we only use time planning procedure as the only method to check and balance, but uh, this procedure or this work of simulation has actually been spread across the entire development chain. And one more point I would like to add is that uh, consultations is very important to assess the impact on various stakeholders, and no one is going to deny its importance. And from what we have uh, seen from the proposals by the Development Bureau, so the overall processing time may be shortened, but so far there has been no proposals preventing the public from expressing their views concerning a particular project. So the question we need to think about public consultation is not just uh, not just about the time taken to finish it, but whether the current procedure is efficient to achieve its goal. So an ideal consultation process should be a comprehensive session that allows the government to collate the information and the opinions needed to refine the development. But uh, because uh, the, the design project is now going through this statutory procedure step by step in a sequential manner, it is not uncommon to see that even in the latter stages, uh, objections or concerns similar to those handled in the preceding stages still appear. And again, considerable time and effort will be needed to address these um, objections. Right. I'm, so, I'm thinking of looking yeah. at northern... Yeah. The, the development of the northern area as proposed um, I, I have a concern that we're going to publish a town plan saying this is we're going to have a new town up there it's going to house uh, half a million people or a quarter of a million people 
and uh, we'll go through all of that and then when we get onto the roads and rails that you need to make that new development area connect with the existing urban area or, or go, uh, going over the border, uh, people are going to have a second bite at objecting by saying, well, if we can stop the road now, we, we lost on the plan, but if we, if we op oppose the road, we can stop the whole thing. No, actually, uh, when... Oh, sorry. Albert. Uh, can, can I go back yes, to sure, one sure. point that, that Genesis just mentioned yeah. um, about consultation? Yeah. Now, I'm afraid that the gem seems to be mixing up uh, the purpose of a consultation process and a statutory process. Now, time planning is a statutory process. Now, whereas consultation is really for the government's decision-making, um, because after all the consultation, now, I mean, obviously we can debate, you know, whether the government is, uh, is wise or is even genuine in its public consultation. But even if they do it properly, right, it's still an executive-led process. So it's an executive decision. After all the consultation, the government is making an executive decision. Now, then, they should come that, then this should move on to a statutory process, which is a time planning process. As I said in the very beginning, the purpose of time planning is basically because people mistrust government. People do not believe government should be the ultimate decision maker in, a, in time planning, because time planning, by its very nature, has to be a multi-stakeholder decision process. And that's why we have the time planning ordinance at all. And that's why we have the time planning board with supposedly professional experts making the decision. So if you take away that statutory process, essentially what you are left is an autocratic government making uh, its own decision on what is right or wrong for society. Is this what we want? This is something we need to ask ourselves. But, but do yeah. you actually... But, but Albert, yeah. uh, no... Jacqueline Moyer. Yeah. So, but there is no proposal suggesting that the power of the town planning board is being taken away. So the government will still need to, the government or any applicants who wish to rezone the site, they will still need to go through the procedure, submit their plans to the town planning board, and then the town planning board will publish this amendment for public comments and public uh, representations. So the, the very element of uh, getting public sales and the elements of putting the proposals for um, expert scrutiny in the time planning procedure still remains unchanged. But the whole proposal is uh, about whether there's obviously inefficiencies noted across in different statutory procedures, how we can get things do better without um, changing uh, its uh, intentions with the uh, um, to do this in the shortest time possible. I think that's what we want to discuss and what we want to refine the, uh, the time planning procedure. Albert mm. uh, 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 Lau, do, do, I mean, do, do you accept that uh, this, this, you know, the process could be made more efficient? Oh, of course, yes, of course. I, I'm, quite, I'm totally supportive of making the process more efficient, you know, with the different ordinances. We do have different ordinances, as Mike pointed out. I mean, to be more coordinated and so on. That's not an issue at all. The issue is that um, the government is trying to make some changes by stealth. Now, well, whereas uh, uh, Janice is right in saying that, you know, apparently, you know, okay, the public consultation process has been shortened uh, and it's not entirely taken away. But if you look at what they're proposing 
for land reclamation in particular, as I said, I mean, the government is proposing that all these can be done in parallel with the process. So that and land reclamation is irreversible. So, so that's why it's for that particular in that particular areas. They are really taking away, the, you know, they're not, they don't even treat the, the company as rubber stamp. It isn't even worse than rubber stamp in that sense. Okay. Now, if I may, in a way, it's another point about the length, the timing for public concert. Well, actually, one other point is that they take away the rights for the public um, to make rezoning requests unless you are a, a landowner. Now, that is a very dangerous move. Uh, again, I'll give you an example. Uh, Government Hill. We all know that, you know, the government, government actually has been, in the early days, they have been trying to, you know, sell off government here and redevelop it and so on, take away all the heritage buildings which were the, you know, government headquarters. Now, it's only because uh, there is a provision for the, for the public to raise objection and also uh, to propose new, uh, to new zoning plan or rezone, rezone that, uh, that particular Area, then uh, there would there there was a, there, there there could be a public campaign uh, to try to conserve Government Hill and all the heritage buildings, and then after all this process, the government uh, agreed, you know, that the public is right, and then we withdrew its proposal, and then and then now we have this beautiful Government Hill with all the heritage buildings conserved. Now, but if we if we are having if we have this. Uh, you know, revised proposal. Go ahead. That means the right would not have that. You know, the public would not have the right. You know, to do rezoning, and they, they wouldn't have the time to mobilize the public to conserve the uh, heritage buildings there. Albert, I and think that's a terrible example. <laughs> I think that's a terrible example. There was no threat to East Wing and Main Wing, which were the heritage buildings. This is all about the West Wing, one of the ugliest buildings in Central. <laughs> I know, I know you're, not, you're not a fan of the West Wing, right? building, In the end, in the end, uh, the government agreed that this, all the main wings and west wings should be considered as an integral part of a heritage. And mm. that is why that is preserved. I offered to drive the bulldozer that hit West Wing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I, respect, I respect your view, but what I'm saying is that you must accept that the government did decide that the public was right and mm. it was wrong. Mm. And that's why it reversed its decision. Mm. So, so if we have, uh, if we have low process, then, um, you know, this would never have happened. Okay, okay. Uh, we've got a, an email here. Um, uh, it's for uh, Jacqueline Hoy, actually. Uh, uh, listener James says, uh, what does our Hong Kong think of the use of emergency powers to construct community isolation facilities? Mainland construction firms are building a lot of new infrastructure on environmentally sensitive areas without any discussion or environmental process. Is this a good thing? Uh, perhaps a model for Hong Kong development going forward. Is that something you'd care to comment on, Jacqueline Hoy? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the, the whole thing about building emergency hospitals is a uh, very special case and also a, a, like an isolated uh, incident if we have to consider the impact of a uh, recent COVID-19 outbreak has brought to Hong Kong. But I don't think that this is uh, the appropriate way for the long-term um, camp planning and development. Mm. Obviously, to build a uh, sustainable and also visible community, 
uh, planning and also uh, feasibility studies are very important. But so does uh, so is infrastructure. So I I don't think it's uh, a very an ideal situation if the government was just uh, to resume uh, a land out, uh, in the middle of nowhere for building houses. Uh, to to make this uh to, to to make a district livable, the government will need to consider suitable infrastructure networks, which also includes the transport facilities, and this will need a more comprehensive urbanization plan to do it rather than uh, just uh, using emergency powers to resume a land for construction. So I think the better way is that the government from now uh, uh, obviously, a northern metropolis is a good starting point ahead, but it needs to consider more about how to uh, urbanize Hong Kong and then to improve the transport network on a timely and an efficient manner, such that more land can be unlocked for development, be it housing or economic use. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much to both of you for joining the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Jacqueline Hoy, a researcher with the R Hong Kong Foundation. Thanks also very much to Albert Lai, a director and past chair of the Conservancy Association. And before nine o'clock, uh, we heard from Dr Vijay Danisakaran, uh, associate professor at the Division of Public Health uh, Laboratory Sciences at the uh, Hong Kong University School of Public Health, and also Dr Raymond So, respiratory Med medicine specialist. Uh, both of those guests were on our COVID uh, updates before nine o'clock this morning. And uh, just before we come to the end of uh, this programme, uh, we're just going to return to the uh, COVID situation because, uh, as we've been reporting uh, for the past few days, uh, we're expecting an announcement from the Chief Executive this morning uh, on a, a review of the uh, anti-COVID, anti-pandemic measures. Um, an email here from Colin says, uh, Hong Kong residents watch the rest of the world get on with their lives, and we think, why us? Uh, followed all the instructions during the last two years, got triple jabbed, and now the so-called experts are recommending a 95% vaccination rate before relaxing restrictions. 95% of what? Residents here now? Are we also counting the large numbers that have left this year already? Quite rightly, even if the CE thinks uh, that is unachievable. Let's hope uh, for some good news today from our CE and boy do we need it. I would like to go to my son's graduation this summer in UK but don't want to spend five weeks getting back to my Hong Kong home, spending three weeks in a third country. This was never... Uh, uh, uh this was never anything to do with science. This was just plain bonkers. Here's hoping for some better news today. Well done to Alan Zeman and the various chambers of commerce in speaking out recently. Stay safe. Uh, that from uh, Colin. OK, well, thanks to everybody who wrote in. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Mike. Yeah, here, here, Colin. <laughs> like it. And, like it. And, and uh, OK, just before we go to the news summary and morning brew, a quick look at the weather then. Um, it's going to be mainly cloudy today with one or two showers, coastal fog in the morning and at night, sunny intervals during the day. Uh, top temperature will be around 26 degrees, moderate east to southeasterly winds. The outlook... Occasional showers in the next few days, foggy on Tuesday, and it will be rather warm. Showers will be more frequent at times uh, from uh, that night to Wednesday, and there will be isolated thunderstorms at first, becoming appreciably cooler on Wednesday. 
It'll be windy in the latter part of this week. It's quite a long weather forecast for you. Uh, it's currently 23 degrees, humidity 87%. Public hospitals are facing huge service demand. The hospital authority appeals to COVID-19 patients with mild symptoms or no symptoms to not go to the accident and emergency departments. For those who have medical needs, they can make appointments at the designated clinics for COVID-19 of the hospital authority. Visit ha.org.hk for details. For others seeking consultation at hospitals, please be considerate to medical staff and follow their advice. Together, we fight the virus. The new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. Good morning. The number of new COVID infections in Hong Kong has fallen to a three-week low. Health officials have reported about 14,000 from 16,500 the day before. The vice chairman of the International Chamber of Commerce, George Cotherley, says any quarantine period or home isolation requirement would be turnoffs for business travelers. And a tax partner of KPMG China says the government's latest pandemic wage support is both effective and affordable, but doesn't help businesses that have already closed down. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Good Monday morning to you. Thanks to Jim and Mike for back chat. This is James Ross in on Morning Brew for Phil today. Down, down to the wire Set your hopes up way too 